0: 12th so you know the type of people that come to church on Friday night they're ready to go you know (laughs) so it's usually a really really good time all right, let's continue our series called This Little Light. We're in part five, This Little Light, part five. Uh, we've covered all kinds of territory so far, and basically what this sermon series is about is how do we, as believers, let our light shine. We're supposed to let our little light shine, and we've been uh, covering everything from Jesus is the light of the world. We looked at John 1, 9. John 1.9 says, The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. This is talking about Jesus coming into the world. The true light. So Jesus is the light. But not only is he the light, he gives light to every man. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5.14 that you are the light of the world. Isn't that an amazing thing? You are the light of the world. And this you is the plural you. It's not you individually or me individually. It's us. We are the light of the world. The church, the believers are the light of the world. And so we have been given the gospel of Jesus Christ, that today is the day of salvation, now is the time of God's favor, now is when any human being on this planet, no matter what they've done, can have their sins forgiven, have the right to become a child of God, have an inheritance that is unshakable, and be able to walk through this life in perfect peace with the provision of God and the purpose of God with them. And we have that message that we receive, and we can share that with anybody. We are the light of the world. What could possibly go wrong with that? Right? I mean, that's just the good news. But sometimes this is a hostile world. People don't want to hear about Jesus. They've been, uh, you know, bad things have happened. They've been confused as to who Jesus is, or they see yucky uh religious junk and they get disillusioned or different things happen and there's there can be hostility to the message of the gospel and so we have to let our light shine in the darkness and so we talked about having the light within ourselves if we're going to let our light shine the first thing we need to do is make sure that we have that light in us if we don't have the light of christ in us what do we have to share we got nothing and that's just going to be a disaster and then we have to protect that light because if we receive the forgiveness of Jesus and we have that peace come over us and we step into that new life, then it doesn't always just get easier from there, does it? It can be very difficult. We walk in a, in a difficult world. We engage in lots of painful things and, and difficulties happen and we can have hardships and we can have faith crises that happen in our lives and so we talked about the full armor of God because there are spiritual battles that happen if you want them to happen or not right like I can choose whether or not I play basketball I usually choose not to play basketball because I'm very bad at basketball but I could play basketball or I could not play basketball do you get to choose whether or not you are involved in spiritual battles You you get to choose whether or not you engage, but they will happen to you either way. They're gonna the fiery darts of the enemy are coming. Doesn't matter if you want them to or not. It doesn't matter if you signed up on the yes, I will engage in spiritual warfare. The the devil's coming after all of us, no matter what. So if there is armor for us to put on, let's put it on. If there's a helmet that we can wear, let's put on the helmet. If there's a shield that we can pick up that will extinguish every fiery arrow of the evil one, why would we not pick up that shield? But oh man, sometimes that shield of faith is a little too small and some arrows get through and we go through difficulties and so we have to learn to be able to protect the light that's within us. Then we talked about knowing what day it is, that today is the day of salvation. Today is not the day of judgment. Today is not the day of the law. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of God's favor. And so this is a special time in history where anyone can be forgiven, where everyone can become a child of God. This is a special moment in time. This day will not last forever. The day of judgment will come. Jesus will return. He'll rule with an iron scepter. Things will change. We need to take advantage of the day of salvation, the time of God's favor, and that is now. Hallelujah for that. So if we know what day it is, we're not going to judge. We're not going to do the wrong things. We're not going to get all legalistic and funny. We're going to know that today is the day of salvation. And then last week we talked about Jesus' friend of sinners. If we're going to let our light shine in the darkness, that means that we have to have the light, we have to know what the spiritual situation is, that now is the time of God's favor, it's the day of salvation, and we have to uh, be able to interact with people who do not know Jesus. Amen? It's easy for me, I grew up not knowing Jesus, I didn't know people that knew Jesus. So it's easy for me to interact with people who don't know Jesus because they're my people. I understand them better than I understand Christian people. It's kind of a bizarre place for a pastor to be, but that's my situation. I've had to learn, you know, you've got to learn the whole new Christian language all that stuff. It's, it's tricky, tricky, tricky things. But anyway, we have to let our light shine in the darkness. And so if we're going to do that, we should look and see how Jesus did that. And so last week we talked about Jesus' friend of sinners. He was insulted As he did his ministry on this earth in a variety of different ways, and one of the ways that Jesus was insulted was he was called a friend of sinners. Who is this guy? He says he's from God and he's got good truth, but he's a friend of sinners. He must be a bad person. He must not be right. He's a friend of sinners. And so he was maligned by being called a friend of sinners. And so we looked at that last week. How did Jesus interact with people? Of course, we don't use the word sin anymore in our culture. Have you ever heard that, the word sin? Only in Christian circles do we use that word. Outside of Christian circles, what sin means is bad choices. They use the phrase bad choices to describe sin. Well, I've made a lot of bad choices. Okay, That's sin, right? That's what... Sin is. Bad choices. And so, how did Jesus interact with people who made bad choices, who are in the middle of a life of bad choices? How did Jesus interact with people like that? It was very simple. A lot of things in the Bible are complicated. This one is very, very simple. Jesus connected with them and invited them to change. Jesus connected with people wherever they were in life, Whatever goofed up lifestyle they were involved in, however mired in darkness they were, he connected with them and invited them into a new life. That's what Jesus did. And so how can we do that wrong? We're kind of sliding into some new material now, but uh, how can we do that wrong? Well, we we can fail to connect with people and still want them to change. Right? And then just yell at them, you be better, but not know what they're going through. How many times do we make bad choices because of the pain that's inside of us that we're just trying to deal with? A lot of times people do self-destructive things because of the hardships that they've experienced and they need someone who cares to help them, not someone who won't understand and get into their life, who's just going to say, you know what, you need to straighten up. That's not very helpful, so we need to connect. But if we connect and then we don't invite people into a new life, that's also very dangerous, right? There's a lot of bridge ministries, go in, love people, but never really tell them, hey, now's the time where you need to give your life to Christ. Now's the time where you need to, be done with that and step into something new. You have to invite them into a life of following Jesus. Of course, you can do. You can skip both. Don't connect and don't invite people into a new life. You know, just stay off at the distance and just be upset about what's going wrong in the world and do nothing about it. You know, that's not very helpful. And then... I think mistake number four that's different from how Jesus did things in that he connected with people that made bad choices and invited them into a new life. And by the way, how many people in here have not made bad choices? So we're talking about us too, right? Every one of us, me included, we've all made bad choices. We've all done dumb stuff that has hurt other people and hurt us. So this is, this is us too. The last mistake we can make with working with people who've made bad choices is we can connect with them and then invite them into I shouldn't say we. One of the ways that people can do this wrong is people can connect with people who've made bad choices and then invite them into their own particular religious dysfunction. And that's not so great either. Right? And that's what brings us to today's sermon. It has a title, very fancy. The title is Woe. Woe. And Jesus used the what's translated in English, the word Whoa, woe, W-O-E. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You're doing these things wrong. And I'm saying, whoa, W-H-O-A, whoa, like, whoa, Nellie, let's slow down, let's not do this wrong. Last week we talked about how Jesus interacted with sinners. Today we're talking about how Jesus interacted with the religious elite of the day. And one of the things that Jesus did with the religious elite of the day is he brought up and exposed the religious dysfunction, the dynamics that were messing up people's walk with God. He exposed them to the public in a very loud way. With his list of seven or eight depending on which translation of the Bible you read, woes. And so we're going to look at those. But let's pray a little bit more before we get into the new material. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, for your truth. I pray, Lord, that you would just continue to bless our time together, help us to receive from you what we need. Each one of us is dealing with different things. We're going through different situations. We need a different touch from you. And I know you can touch each one of us with what we need by your spirit today. So let it be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I think the biggest problem with Christianity in America today is apathy. Apathy. The people aren't all that excited about serving Jesus. When I first started getting connected with the church in Jamaica, they asked me a question, and it was this. What are your all-night prayer meetings like? And I said, well, we, we don't have all-night prayer meetings. And they were like, really? Huh. And they were shocked. And I thought, hmm, (laughs) I'm a a little embarrassed. You know, like, there's, we look at the Jamaican culture and we think they're lazy. You know what I mean? Like, no problem, man. You know, we're just going to kick back and relax. And there is an element of that, of course, in that culture. But let me tell you, the Jamaican Christian is engaged in their faith. And in America, there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians who just aren't real excited about serving Jesus. They're, they're, it's hard to get them motivated. You know, and, and good for you. You came to church today. You know, that makes you above average. You know, most Christians don't come to church. Uh, and so you're here and it's cold outside. So guess what? That's fantastic. If you came like three weeks in a row, you'd be elite. You know, you'd be an elite servant. You'd be special forces serving Jesus. You know, I mean, you'd be right up there. But, you know, so this apathy thing, most of what I do in ministry is trying to get people excited about serving God and motivated so they actually do something, right? Isn't that, that's what I'm trying to do. Come on, let's do it. But even if you conquer apathy, there's still more, right? Because you can be, off, You can be messed up even if you are fully engaged. Even if you are excited about religious things, you can still be wrong. And that's who Jesus was dealing with 2,000 years ago was Pharisees and teachers of the law who I would even say were obsessed with religion who were completely focused on trying to do everything exactly right, were very detailed, very aggressive, but they were messing it all up. So even if you conquer apathy, you still have to come into being a functional Christian. Someone who's living out their faith in the right ways. And there can be some dynamics that cause problems with people even once they've conquered apathy. And so we're going to look at what Jesus said to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the dynamics that were causing problems back then, and see if we can't find any parallels to today's world so that both we can recognize when religion is goofed up and not have that affect our opinion of God, and so that we can avoid doing those things ourselves. Right? Those are both very, very important things because I know lots of people who look at religious dysfunction and then they put that on Jesus. That's just people being messed up, right? That's not Jesus. And then, of course, we don't want to be doing these things. So we want to understand what's going on. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 23. We're going to crank through the first part and then we're going to look at some woes, things that we should hold off on doing. Matthew 23, verse 1. See how fast I can read through this? I'll probably stop, because I can't stop myself from doing that. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to the disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. Have you heard people say that before? That's from Jesus yelling at the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They tell you to do the right thing, but they don't do it themselves. They don't practice what they preach. Verse 4. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. Phylacteries. How many anybody got a phylactery at home? Uh back in those days what they would do is is they would take scripture verses and they would put them in a little box. And then they would tie that box onto their forehead. Uh it was, it, I don't know, it's different then. Anyway, and that was called a phylactery. And so this was this little box they would put in their outfit. You know, and it had uh, scripture verses in it, little scrolls or whatever, little things. And so they'd make big ones like, oh yeah, I got lots of Bible verses in my phylactery, you know. They would make their phylacteries wide, like trying to show how spiritually awesome they were. And then the tassels on the garments also had significance along those lines as well. See how religiously fancy I am. I've got a big phylactery and long tassels. I'm very fancy. So verse six, they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have men call them rabbi, but you are not to be called rabbi for you have only one master and you are all brothers. Now go back to that other one. I'm sorry. Verse eight. So you have one master. Who is our master? We serve Jesus. We serve the living God. Amen. The church is a tool to help us serve God. Do you serve me? No. We serve together. We are all brothers. Now I have a particular role. You have a particular role. And that's perfectly fine. But we're all brothers. We're all in this together. We're all following Jesus. Jesus Hammers this point home, do not call anyone on our Father, for you have one Father, and he is in heaven now if you 're saying to your biological father or about that per this is my father, have you now rejected the teachings of Jesus no. What he's saying is, is that you have one authority over you. Your heavenly father is your heavenly father. Follow your heavenly father. We don't need to get legalistic about that. And the same thing with verse 10. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. So if somebody says, I'm a third grade teacher, have they now rejected the truth of God? Absolutely not. What this means is that we believe the truth of God. We follow that. We don't follow people. We follow Jesus. We don't follow the church. Good Hope Church isn't here so that you can love Good Hope Church. Good Hope Church is here so that you can love Jesus and follow God. Amen? Come on. You can't, they're like, really? That's true. <laughs> we love Jesus. The church is just a tool. Verse 11. The greatest among you will be your servant, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Verse 13, here we go, into the woes. Verse 13, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. So you can go ahead and just leave that one up, and we'll talk through these as we go. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. So Jesus is yelling at the Pharisees. This is a public situation. He's doing this in front of whoever is within earshot. He's letting her fly, and he says to these religious elite that they shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces, that they do not enter, and they don't let people enter who are trying to enter. What does he mean by that? Um. Well... What he means is that the leaders, the religious leaders, were not connecting with God and learning the ways of God. They were just connecting with religion and learning the ways of religion. And so they weren't entering into the presence of God, a relationship with God, the ways of God. And then they were stopping other people from finding God too because people would find religion instead of God. I think that can happen in, in seminary. I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to Bible college. All that stuff would have been nice. Uh, I, I came in later, and so I took correspondence classes, which was fabulous. Um, you know, come on. Nothing wrong with that. But I've, I've talked to people that, you know, they're all young and gung-ho about serving Jesus, and they want to go be a pastor, so they go to school, and they learn all these you know, like dry, difficult theology stuff, and it just, it hurts their faith. It doesn't help them grow. It doesn't help them connect with God. It's just all this weird theology and stuff that's all wrong anyway, so who cares? And it's not helpful. We have to be careful not to connect with religion, but to connect with Jesus. He said to the Pharisees, you don't enter. And you stop those who are trying. I can give us a, an of us example of that too. You know worship like the song service time? That's where we're endeavoring to connect with God in a, in a worship way. Just worship and honor God. Just praise Him. Just try to be in the presence of God and not, you know, not to have a list of give me this, give me this, give me this. And, and not to have to learn some new concept or, you know, memorize a Bible verse or anything. Just be in the presence of God and worship and praise and honor God. That's entering in. However, sometimes worship teams can be more about a concert and being the coolest worship team ever. Right? Like, see what I can do, man. Wow. And, uh. Uh, then people who want to worship, it's hard to because you've got to battle through the program. You know, you don't enter and you won't let others enter. That can happen in worship environments in our types of circles. So we don't want to have that happen. Next, whoa, I've got to crank through this because I'm doing okay time-wise, but last night I went like 15 minutes over, which is my wife is like, you don't do that. Verse 14, next, whoa. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You devour widows' houses and for a show, make lengthy prayers. Therefore, you will be punished more severely. Now, this one isn't in the NIV. This one, uh, we just typed it in. Um, It's a footnote in the NIV because it's not in all of the ancient texts. Um, But it's in the King James and a lot of other versions. So this is why sometimes it's 8 and sometimes it's 7 as far as the woes are concerned. But what is this woe? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You devour widows' houses. What does that mean? You devour widows' houses. That means you take advantage of people who you should be helping. You take things from people who have needs, and instead of helping them, you exploit them. And for a pretense, for a show, you make lengthy prayers. So trying to seem very spiritual and important while taking from people who you should be helping. Devour widows' houses. This is the classic complaint against televangelists. I was watching a televangelist one time, in the end, when the ask came, the guy said, even if you can only give $10,000, every little bit helps. I'm like... Come on, even if you can only give $10,000, that's quite an assumption right there. You know, I got nothing against uh, using TV and radio. I'm on the radio, you know I mean? Like, let's use the, let's use the internet. Let's, let's uh, reach people as many ways as possible. But that classic thing of trying to exploit people into giving up things that they need and pretending to be spiritually pure while you're just trying to take from people, that's this woe. Don't do that. That can happen at any level. That can happen at the local church level as well, not just at the televangelist level. Next woe, verse 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Have you ever wondered why they wanted to crucify Jesus? It's because he called them out in the public square. Not only did he have a bunch of people following him and he did things they didn't like, but he was directly confrontational. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. What does that mean? Well, it's, you do not enter, and then when you bring somebody into your group, you just teach them your dysfunction, and they're just all the more dysfunctional. This would be the the cult example, right? The strong, let's go get some people, and let's bring them into our goofy little group, and then all you do is mess them up. This, this is describing cults, Right? Travel over land and sea, find somebody to bring into your group, and then you just share the dysfunction with them, pull them into a big messed up disaster. Twice as much a Son of Hell. That's not good. Let's do the next one, starting in verse 16. 16 through 22. This is a longer one. 16 through 22. Woe to you, blind guides! You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. So this is a long description. What, what is he talking about? This is something we don't necessarily do in our culture that was a serious problem back then. But I remember doing this in second grade. I don't know if this was true in second grade for you, but I know that when I was in second grade, if I crossed my fingers and put them behind my back, I could lie and it was perfectly fine. Was that true for you? Oh, I had my fingers crossed. And this was a big part of the culture back then. If you said an oath a particular way, you had to hold to it. But if you said it a different way, You didn't have to. And so they would do these different things to try to trick people and get them to do what they wanted and get them to believe them even though they weren't really saying what they were meaning to say. It was the same deal as cross your fingers, put it behind your back, and then you can lie. And so Jesus was saying, look, you guys are all messed up. You you swear an oath by the altar, it doesn't count, but you swear by the gift on the altar, then it does count. You know, what is this? This is a mess. This is the same thing that Jesus talked about and why he said in Matthew chapter 5. Let's just do verse 37. 537 of Matthew. Jesus says this. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Don't be doing all this crossing your fingers and, you know, well, but the oath wasn't, you know, on the... Gift to the altar, it was just on the altar, so then I don't have to hold to it. He's saying, don't be like that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't be fiddling around. Be people of your word. That's that, that woe. Don't play games with words. Next one Matthew chapter 23, 23 and 24. Jesus says this 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. So they would tithe out of their garden. So you know, like, how many people have a little chive plant? We've got a little chive plant in a pot. It would be like you, you count the little, like, okay, it's got 163 things sticking out of it, so I'm going to take 17 little chive things, and I'm going to put them in the plate when the plate goes by, because I'm a tither. This would be that sort of a thing. Like, you know, very detailed, very specific. Tithing out of your garden. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So this would have been a great opportunity for Jesus to say, you know, and tithing really doesn't matter anyway. But instead he says, now keep tithing, keep doing that, but don't forget about justice and mercy and faithfulness. You need to have the core truths without letting go of the other disciplines. And then my favorite verse in this whole chapter, chapter 23, verse 24, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. So the straining out a gnat is the tithing of their dill, mint, and cumin. And the swallowing a camel is the neglecting mercy and justice and faithfulness. You know, who are we as followers of God if we don't have mercy, justice, and faithfulness? But, oh, hey, you know, I brought you my carrot and a half of the 15 carrots I grew. You know, that that's straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. It's a very dangerous thing that I've seen happen many times in church boardrooms. Where a gnat is strained and a camel is swallowed. It can happen between churches. Is it important for Christians to stand together, unified for the cause of Christ? Except for those robe wearing, candle burning, hymn singing goofball. No, we need to be together with them too. We're all on the same team. Who cares if they sing hymns? You know, we sing newer songs. What difference does it make? By your own master you stand or fall. They don't answer to me. They don't answer to you. We don't answer to them. We all answer to the Lord. And so we don't want to divide because of music style. Strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Verses 25 and 26. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. 26. Blind Pharisee first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. So this is the whole thing of putting on a front, you know, pretending that you got everything together when you don't. All that sort of thing. Jesus hits this a little bit harder in the next one. Verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. So again, this is going on and on, isn't it? Imagine this in the public square. You hypocrites. Yelling it over and over. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. So Jesus just laying into them. And this is that whole thing of pretending you're something that you're not. Pretending you're a great spiritual person when on the inside you're just evil and dark. Now, I don't like how we use the word hypocrite in today's world. Hypocrite doesn't mean that you're imperfect. It doesn't mean that you're trying to follow Jesus, but you got a lot of stuff wrong in your life. That's not a hypocrite. That's just an imperfect person. The hypocrite is the one who tries to convince people that they don't have anything wrong in their life when they do. That's when you become a hypocrite. You got an issue with alcohol? If you don't, like... Oh, yeah, those stupid people that drink too much. You know, Then you're a hypocrite. But if you just have problems, you're not a hypocrite. You're just a person with problems. And so it's very important to be able to be honest about the issues that you're dealing with because if you're not honest about it, you have to hide it. And if you're hiding it, you can't deal with it. So we need and we do have a culture at Good Hope Church where we can be imperfect so that we can face our issues And we can conquer them. Amen? It is safe to have things wrong with you. And to face them and conquer them at Good Hope Church. Last woe. Verse 29 through 32. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the, the graves of the righteous and you say, if we had lived in the days of our forefathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. He's yelling at the people who stoned Stephen here, coming up here in a, another year or so. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of the sin of your forefathers. So here, woe to you. You you are the children of the people that killed the prophets. You know, Fill up the measure of the sin of your forefathers. That's kind of a weird thing. Um, but what Jesus is talking about here is people who are in the religious culture, but who are constantly resisting God. Can you be deeply entrenched in the religious culture, but still deeply resist the things of God? Absolutely. Happens all the time. He's saying, don't be like that. Don't resist God from inside of the religious culture. And then Jesus proclaims a judgment upon them. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come up as I'm reading this, and then we're going to close here shortly. Matthew 23, through 36 says this. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you exp- being condemned to hell again do you wonder why they crucified him they were very mad at him because in the public square he yells things like you snakes you brood of vipers how will you escape being condemned to hell Therefore I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you the truth, all this will come upon this generation. This was the last generation where the temple... In Jerusalem was functional in about 40 years it was destroyed temple service never to return again to this day he pronounced this uh, judgment upon them and it seems like Jesus is pretty angry doesn't it I think he's angry but there's something else going on that's deeper and that's shown in the very, very next verse, verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. I think Jesus was angry and broken hearted. I think those two things can go together. Because Jesus saw these people, these Pharisees and teachers of the law, the chosen people, straying away from God, messing up the things of God. And not only was Jesus angry about what was going on, but he knew who they were supposed to be. He knew where they were supposed to be spiritually, and they weren't there. And he knew who they were supposed to be reaching with the truths of God, and those people weren't being reached, and he was brokenhearted about it. Why will you not follow the truth? And of course, he knows where each one of us should be. He knows who he made us to be. Let's not break his heart. Let's let ourselves grow into who we were created to be in Christ. So I'm going to close us in prayer. Then I'll open the front up for personal prayer. But let's pray together first. Heavenly Father, we honor you in this place. We worship you and we give you praise. Lord, we're sorry if, when, we, when we let you down. When we fail at assignments that you give us. When we don't let our heart change into your heart. Lord, we're sorry. Help us to be more like you. Let us not do these things wrong but let's just humbly grab hold of your truth and try to serve you as best we can, growing and learning day by day and putting into practice your truth more and more day by day as well. Help us, Lord, to see who you made us to be and let us have faith to become that person. Lord, I pray a blessing over each one in this place. I pray your peace would be upon us. I pray your strength would be with us. And Lord, that your light would shine in our hearts so bright that it overflows into our world. Let it be. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to open the front up for personal prayer. Come on down. Receive prayer. It doesn't matter what the prayer need is. You know, you just need a blessing. You, you've got any specific need. You want to connect with God better. Come on down. Receive prayer. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Say hi to somebody you don't know and encourage them in the Lord this morning.